Welcome back to Coming In Without Context. My name is Dylan Yang, and uh, Hope's over there. She's going to be leading the discussion today. Um, right now, we're enjoying the lovely breeze of Hurricane Henri. <laughs> how's how's the storm treating you, Hope? Um, I didn't remember that it was a thing. Um, I'm very cold right now. I have a blanket wrapped around me, so I don't know if that's the hurricane, but I think it's just the AC. <laughs> well, over here, it was it was pouring this morning, but it's already kind of died down. But okay. I'm enjoying the breeze. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, you're leading, so you can, uh, whenever you want, take it away. We'll be joined by uh, my friend. Her name is Lauren Lazaro. You can just call her Lauren. Hope. Okay, Lauren, got it. So uh, today, I kind of wanted to continue what my last discussion was sort of about, obviously with a different angle. And so I was thinking about talking about like, what do we owe to the environment? I feel like a lot of times when we talk about climate change or how we've affected the environment, we talk about how it's going to be hard for us to live on the planet and how the planet's going to be hard to inhabit and different things. But I feel like we don't really talk about like what do we ethically owe to our environment and our surroundings. And we focus more on how it's going to affect us if the environment takes a downward turn, but not so much like what do we truly owe to the environment, regardless of if it would have affected us. Well, climate change is going to get really bad, but um, we'll pretend if climate change gets really bad for discussion purposes so uh any initial thoughts all right listen hope <laughs> i think we don't owe anything to okay right. well so actually that's an interesting point you break up um it really it's basically so i don't think you know this because it's kind of a niche field like an academic field it's called eco-criticism and I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, I, it's just a coincidence that I know because I took um, a film class and my film teacher wanted us to look at everything through an eco-critical lens. He applied it in terms of film, obviously, but um, traditionally it's in terms of literature. Okay. You look at uh, books, the writings, poetry, whatever, um, and you see what the author is trying to say about the environment specifically. And so there's actually a few different like schools of thought within eco-criticism, like they have their own philosophies and kind of brought it up unknowingly. Um, like there's this idea that nature as a whole is its own entity. It it's its own being. And so therefore it has its own value. Um, separate from the human race. And if anything, humans are just a part of nature. Um, you know, in, in some schools of thought, humans are like equals with nature, like we're agents as well. But there's also schools of thought where humans are just a part of nature under the umbrella with like all other animals and plants. Um, so, yeah, but I, I think you make a good point. Like it's when we talk about uh, the environment and like climate change today, usually it's in the context of preserving the existence of humanity rather than yeah. the innate value of nature. Yeah. And I, I wanted to bring up this conversation with you specifically, since you're the philosophy guy, 
to see if there was like any sort of like ethical value to maintaining the environment, even if climate change wasn't like a existential threat we currently have. And so kind of making it a question, um, <laughs> do we owe anything to the environment? <laughs> um, I still think, uh, as I've brought up in previous episodes, I don't think we do owe anything to the environment, um, at least not innately. I think humans tend to assign value to things in order to create meaning for ourselves and also to base rules and justifications and reasoning upon that. Um, so for example, if you look at animal species, you know, cannibalism or killing one's own species in self-defense or blah, blah, blah. But then we as humans have all these complex moral rules where we're like, thou shall not kill thy kin, right? And you, and cannibalism is, is taboo. And, you know, we have all these complex rules, but they're not really based on any. Obviously, some religions will justify it by saying there's a higher power which has created these rules, and that's why we should follow them. But if you're non-religious, then there's nothing really there. Now, obviously, I'm not saying, I'm not giving the go-ahead for doing whatever you want. You know, there's, we have a system in place that works somewhat at protecting our lives, you know, well, it ensures a pretty decent standard of life. So, you know, we should keep going with that. But there's nothing innately there that makes me think that either us or animals or the environment itself has any natural protections. Now, you said that we should keep going with what we currently have because it ensures a decent standard of living. But obviously at the rate we're going at, um, that's at the cost of the environment. And I think in, you know, however many years, not a scientist, um, that standard of living could significantly decrease because of how we have treated the environment for this standard of living. And so I'm curious, I, I know I said I wanted to talk about this outside of the scope of how it affects humanity and whether or not we just have an obligation to nature. Um, and I think in certain cultures, there is like a moral obligation to nature. Um, a lot of, I feel like indigenous cultures have always had kind of a deeper connection to nature. And maybe it's just like the Western, like Christian ideology of like God gave earth to man so we can do what we want with it. That's kind of polluted a lot of things maybe, but I also am not like an expert on that at all. So maybe not. Well, so jumping off of something you said, um, since I do, I actually, I've pulled out my notebook for the class um, and what you're echoing about like Christianity ecological beliefs about how like God gave humanity stewardship. That's the, that's the key word over nature. That was actually one of the key readings we had to do for the class. Hey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was in the context of my class, Christianity puts uh, nature, man as the master of all animals and nature, but then it, we were comparing it to like Eastern philosophies of Buddhism, where nature 
it, like in our heads, stereotypically nature has like a higher value and stuff, but actually those are like misconceptions where usually, um, Buddhists at the time were actually advising to stay away from wild nature. Um, because you know, there's like dangerous animals out there. You could get eaten or you could starve to death. Um, and they were moving to become more popular within town communities um, because like there were growing urban centers at that time um, wherever Buddhism was being practiced. So like, it's, it's like based on your context, right? Like if it's surrounding you and you're, you have to survive off it, you're, you're probably going to start forming beliefs to match that. You know, there's, they, there's all the talk about how religions are founded and how you come up with superstitions because you think that'll help you in certain ways but that's not necessarily based on anything or if it is based on something, it's based on like just the coincidences, a series of coincidences happening one way or another. Right. But I don't think that it really means anything in the end. Um, welcome Lauren. Um, how do you feel about climate change? Hello. Um, Gosh, I don't even know. I think it's really scary. And it's something that I was really passionate about solving for a while. And I was even going to be an environmental science major because that's, again, like I said, it's something I was really passionate about. But I got really discouraged in the last few years because I feel like no one was really like stepping up. And I just got kind of scared that it was we weren't going to make any progress and I unfortunately did switch my major so (laughs) that's where we stand (laughs) so do you feel like um we like as people have an obligation to our environment yes I definitely think that we do because this is where we live and we're lucky enough to like have this beautiful earth and I absolutely love nature like I spent probably 80% of my time in nature and it's what makes me the happiest and so I really care about it and I really care about taking care of it and making sure everything's clean but I know that the majority of people don't share those same values so it's so frustrating when people just take advantage of how beautiful this earth is that's a good point yeah nature's a great time like maybe there is something innate in our evolution to just really admire awe-inspiring views like I know when I went to Yellowstone and I saw like the full starry night sky without any light pollution for the first time I was like damn that's that's crazy so I mean obviously when we go to someone's house and we're like a guest like there's basic standards for how you have to treat someone when you're at their house maybe like pick up after yourself or you try and be polite you don't take advantage of the space you're in um and so can you apply a similar metaphor to us as humanity on the planet earth and like are we fulfilling our duties as like house guests I think we definitely do have an obligation to like take care of where we are present so I know in like a lot of national parks you have to clean up after yourself and you can't litter and I think that should go for everywhere that you go not just established national parks but we aren't doing a good job of it overall I would say like just if you think about littering alone 
<laughs> we, we there's way more trash around the globe than people cleaning it up, right? Like there's a lot of wholesome posts on social media where where it's people uh, posting pictures of trash bags full, like they have dozens of trash bags behind them, and they spent hours picking up all the litter um, in their green spaces. But then there's we have things like the Great Pacific Garbage Pack, where it's literally an island of our trash, which has gone into the ocean. And you, you can get on it and walk on it. And it's the size, it's, it's bigger than like, it's bigger than a state. And it's just all garbage. Um, and, you know, obviously there's efforts to clean it up. But in terms of which side we're leaning on responsibility, we're, we're definitely failing as, or as a species, I mean. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that garbage patch is bigger than Texas. It's bigger than Texas? Yeah, which is absolutely insane. But also, I could be wrong. I think there's a statistic that like every single piece of plastic that's ever been produced is still on Earth because it doesn't decay, which is it's disgusting. Or it takes like thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions right. of years. Um, or, well, I mean, the plastic, another problem is that the, the plastic just kind of disintegrates into smaller pieces. So oh, yeah. There's the whole conversation about microplastics that's in all of our drinking water now because it's just, it's just ubiquitous. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, that's what gets stuck in, if you eat seafood, that's what gets stuck in the marine life as well. And um, it hasn't like shown up necessarily yet to have health consequences, but that's just because we haven't like lived long enough to see, but I'm sure in the future, there's going to be cases of people have suffering health consequences because we're just intaking so much plastic into our own bodies. Yeah, that's scary. Kind of jumping off of that, I was thinking about like, as we were talking about the plastics and how um, there's more trash than probably like people at this point on like the earth and at some point I think part of the issue is we don't have anywhere to store that trash because it's got to go somewhere and and that means like it shouldn't go in the ocean but even if we just put it in like a dump somewhere that's still just like a landfill of space of trash that's not necessarily a pretty image but I think a lot of what's fueled what's happened in recent years and uh, probably over like the past century or two is the rise in consumer goods. Cause obviously way back when, if people like had the bare minimum necessities, like clothes, um, things they could cook with things they could put food in stuff like that. They weren't using plastics. You had like the essentials and that was it. But with, like modern day consumerism as you have to buy a bunch of plastic and you have to do this, do that. That means there's just so much more trash produced. And I was wondering if you guys had any thoughts on that and how it's connected to how our environment's been affected. Yeah, I definitely know that as like a generation, we use so much plastic. And even if you just go grocery shopping, most of the food that you're buying comes in plastic packaging. Um, and 
like for me, my family, we recycle everything. And like I grew up recycling everything. So I'm used to that. And I just kind of assumed that everyone was the same way. But then I would like go over to people's houses and they would just be throwing out all their plastic. And so I don't think that the majority of people recycle. And if they do, they don't even do it properly because you have to really make sure you like cleanse all your plastic. Um, And so that's really harmful. And it's and it's just adding to all that waste that's going in the landfill. And I think at this point, it's kind of hard to go backwards from like the way that we are because everything is in plastic packaging. And if you order things online, they're coming in plastic bags and again, like grocery stores and the bags that you put your things in at CVS, like everything comes in plastic. It would be such a big change for our society to go to non-plastic packaging completely. I mean, I think the problem overall, um, you're right. It's definitely like a, a, on a societal level, Lauren, um, and it'd be, it, it, we're, we're definitely not going to make it at the rate we're going at. Um, but I feel like it's theoretically possible that if all the companies and the government all agreed to, it got on the same page and like everyone individually got on the same page, we could do it within a year. And, and everything would be fine, but, but it's just not going to work out that way. And yeah, you're right. It's recycling is so strict. Like even the, for the people who do it or do it casually, they they make it so hard. Like companies make it so hard. I've watched videos on YouTube. Um, There's this great guy, he's called um, climate change town and he does videos on this stuff. Um, I think he did a video about recycling and I don't know if most many people know this, but there's actually more than one recycling symbol on plastics um, and other things. And most of the most plastics are not recycled. Like even if you see the symbol on the bottom of your containers or cartons or whatever, there's a very high chance that it's not actually recyclable because companies have specifically design that symbol to trick consumers into thinking they can get rid of it in an easy way, but really it's, you can't get rid of it. Like it goes straight to the trash heaps um, or, or like the oceans or, or it gets burned or whatever. Um, But there's no way to get rid of it um, easily. And like, I, I, there's this whole movement of, 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 you know, the commercials that were like, oh, you can make a change. All the individuals need to start changing things about your daily life to do that. And it's great that some people do that. I, like, like I, it's great that uh, your family does that, Lauren. But, but really, the burden should be on companies because they're the ones that have, that produce most of the pollution, that produce all of these products that go to waste. And, and they're also the ones, funny enough, that started those campaigns to pressure individuals to start recycling rather than the while lobbying the government to, to not put regulations on them to change how they're doing. So it's just like, it's a complete mess of hypocrisy and stuff. And it, it is, it is very depressing. Um, but I just, there's definitely a way 
that we could fix it all. But unfortunately, it's probably not going to work out that way because there's too many competing factors and too many people have profit on their mind rather than the environment. Yeah, Dylan, that actually reminds me of something really important. Um, I think it is, I, the statistic again might not be exact, but I'm pretty sure that the household use of water makes up for less than 10% of like all the use of water. Um, and I remember that, I remember learning that the largest use of water is from the paper industry, actually. And so, like you said, it's not really up to individuals anymore. It's, it falls on these big industries and companies that are just using up so many of our resources. And they're, I'm sure they're not being careful about the, their like recycling and whatnot. Um, so yeah, that's a good point that it just reminded me of. Yeah. And something really interesting that I discovered, I didn't know about this. I um, taught a lesson to like middle schoolers about sustainability in the cell phone industry um, and for water use in companies. Like, I, I, I don't know if you might've known this since you're previously an environmental science major, but water use has like three different blue and green. And I don't really remember the colors, but like part of water use when a company is using up water is just they have to put more water into like what they've already used to try and clean it because there's so many toxins and chemicals in the water that's left over when they've done whatever processes. I'm not, I'm not a sciencey person, but they have to add like extra water just to get the, the water that they've used to be at like a level that is safe for consumption and to go back into like streams and things. So part of just the water use that and like manufacturing is just the extra water that they have to put into the water that they're getting rid of just to make it like a safe level for to go into back into the environment and things like that, which I found was really crazy. I, I think it was like green water or something like that. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely right about that. And I think a big issue is that like the wastewater that they create can't go back into the ocean or anything because it will actually harm the ecosystems there. So then they're trying to find ways so that they can make it safe to like dump. But then those solutions are so expensive that companies are just like unwilling to spend the money to do that. So something you said earlier, Hope, uh, your, your earlier point about not having enough space for trash, like you're right that like until recently um the u.s would actually export all of our trash to other nations and actually we still do that um we still send a lot of our trash like tons and tons of trash to uh pacific east asian countries um, and probably other places and and there's actually whole industries built around uh recycling or like getting rid of U.S. trash. Um, I think famously, you know, we used to send it to China, but then China was like, um, you guys send us way too much unusable trash. Please stop. Um, <laughs> but the, there really is no nowhere to put it, right? Even if you think about the vast expanse of space, we've already started littering in space. Um, I don't think this is, I don't know how commonly known this is, but 
all of the broken down satellites and and parts that are used um, for the things we send into outer space, there's a lot of debris just floating around our orbit. And it's so bad. It's so bad that, that we've already somehow figured out a way to litter in space. And so I just like, and it's, it's actually pretty dangerous too, because if, if certain things go wrong and um, certain parts fall out of orbit, they gain significant speed, right? And they could do pretty bad damage to harming people or buildings or whatever. Um, it's extremely unlikely, but if you, there's like maps of just all the space debris that's out there. And so we're worrying about not having enough space on the planet, um, but we've already also used up our 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 space, our local space space, just surrounding the Earth. Um, and I can imagine in the future, if we somehow manage to uh, survive, well, I guess we will, because people will just ditch planet Earth and go to another planet. But I can imagine in the future that, like, we'll just start using asteroids or or like other planets as as dumping grounds where we just blast off our trash into um, into other planets, into other stars, just to just to get rid of it. And uh, I don't know how sustainable that is. And I'm sure that'll come with other unknown consequences. So I meant for this discussion to be more centered around like what our ethical obligations to the environment was. And obviously we kind of veered off of that because it was sort of natural too. Um, especially considering all the considerations of like how climate change is going to affect us. And I mean, when it comes to our ethical obligations to the environment, like there's plenty of people who feel that and who feel very strongly about that. But as you were saying before, like obviously corporations make the biggest dent in water usage and pollution and pretty much all aspects that negatively affect the environment. Um, so I don't know if in the end, it's kind of like, as even if like a lot of people feel morally obligated to helping the environment and to being like respectful inhabitants, if that's not the case for like, the corporations that are like making the largest impacts, like, does it end up really mattering? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Any thoughts, any final thoughts, guys? I guess just like in the past few years, I, I know I started with this, but like I have just been really discouraged because I feel like those large corporations aren't stepping up and that's ultimately what needs to happen in order to see a huge change. It's also a shame that they have so much sway over our political system because it definitely wouldn't have been this way. Like, you know, you know, the, the popular movements around the world have been towards protecting the environment and being more sustainable. But then specifically in the U.S., we are unable to really pass any legislation or regulations about it because of lobbying groups that are funded by the ginormous companies 
<laughs> and so that's i mean yeah it's it's disappointing it's slightly depressing but if there's any hope for us we just got to keep keep at it and uh hope that something just clicks in the mind or hope that our generation t- takes over um as ceo in time although that's unlikely <laughs> Even if we do, plenty of people will sell out. <laughs> but yeah, it it is kind of depressing, especially considering that the environmental movement has been is very old. Like, and it's just at this point, it's probably like over sixty years old that people have really been campaigning for the environment, and like yeah, we've known yeah. about climate change for like half a century. It's only gotten worse, but you know, no. <laughs> Um, sorry for making this episode depressing and a little messy. Keep fighting the good fight or don't, you know. <laughs> ah. All right. Um, that was this week on Coming In Without Context. Uh, Hope is always tired when we do these, so it, it was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, help the environment. Uh, check out climate change town on youtube great videos he's kind of small right now and uh yeah we'll uh we'll do the next one all right see ya